When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. The holidays are pretty much here already. Are you starting to feel a little stressed or maybe worried about getting through the holidays this year? You might be asking, why do the holidays seem to intensify the loss that I'm feeling? Or how am I going to get through this? Or what can I do to make this season easier? All very valid questions. Facing the holidays while grieving the loss of a spouse is overwhelming. That's where my book can really help. It's called The Widow's Holiday Guidebook. 45 Days of Self-Reflection, Self-Compassion, and Self-Care. This book is designed to be your guide through this sometimes stressful time of year. Each day is represented with a different tip, thought-provoking insight, exercise, activity, or piece of advice to navigate the holiday season one day at a time. In this book, you'll learn to process unpredictable emotions, prioritize what matters to you, make new traditions, focus on self-compassion, and doing what feels right, not forced. Consider this your grief survival kit for the holidays. This guidebook will uplift and encourage you, empower you to move through the end of the year with courage, confidence, and hope. Download your copy today. You can get the book at www.widow180.com forward slash books. That's www.widow180.com forward slash books. Hello, listeners. This is such a special episode we have today, and I am so excited because we have Anita Coyle fellow widow, fellow podcaster. Yay! I'm so happy you're here. This has been a long time coming. Um, Anita is one half of the duo on the podcast, Widow We Do Now. So a lot of you have heard of her, have heard of them, and I just love you girls. I love listening to you guys. Thank you so much, Anita, for being here today. Thank you for having me. This is going to be so much fun. Fantastic! So, I usually jump right in and ask about your widow backstory and what happened to Jason. Please tell us how did you become a widow? Okay. Well, first of all, I have to tell you that Jason and I met when I was, oh man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's okay. My throat, but it's like the morning. Uh, Jason and I met when I was just barely out of high school and I ended up getting married like a year and a half later, which was not in my plans. And also I do not recommend that because you might marry a serial killer. (laughs) Luckily, 
Jason was wonderful and we had a really great marriage. So um, we just loved life, loved yeah. it. And it was, we just had a great life. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't like, you know, full of yacht trips and, you know, things like that. But just really loved our life. We laughed every single day and uh, we have four kids and uh, so in January of 2019, uh, Jason went swimming. He was a swimmer, which is kind of fun, but he would do these crazy open water marathon swims. So you would oh. get in the lake and you swim across it. So like six, seven, 10 miles of swimming. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He really wow. loved swimming. Yeah. So he swam four days a week. He would wake up early and go swimming and, uh, I also swim a little bit. I started swimming because I was trying to impress him, which is kind of a funny other story. <laughs> but um, it's kind of a tricky, it's kind of a hard chronological story to tell because on the day that he died, I had had surgery the day before um, because I had a growth on my thyroid. And so Ooh. he wasn't able to go to his normal Wednesday morning swim. He missed that to be, you know, at the hospital with me, which was super kind of him. Thank you for being there. Yeah. For me. Um, so the next day while I was still recovering, it would have been my day to go and I would go in the evenings. And so he said, you know what? I think I'm going to go swimming. I think I'm going to um, go when you would have gone. And I was like, great. Say hi to all my friends because they're the people that I normally swim with. And so off he went. He came into uh, my two-year-old's bedroom. I was snuggling with him to get him to go to bed. And he leaned forward to give me a kiss. And I couldn't lean up because my neck was all sore and cut open so I touched yeah. my fingers to my own lips and then touched them to his lips and he walked out the door and I sent him a text that all of our kids had gone to bed easily which is not normal um so the last text I sent him was all the kids asleep by 8 30 with like little party emojis yeah and uh about 9 30 at night there was a knock on the door and I went and opened the door <laughs> and there was a police officer standing there and I was like hey you know how's it going and the guy said so uh you know my name's so and so and um was your husband at the rec center tonight swimming and I said yeah and he said this is a, a courtesy or a some some sort of a I don't remember what the term he was but there's there's been a uh an emergency and you need to go to such and such hospital and in my mind I was thinking Jason like he totally fell and needs stitches right yeah. that's what I had in my mind yeah. Which they don't send police officers when your husband needs stitches, right? Right. So I just had had surgery. <laughs> but oh my God, I like, yeah. So I like get in And the all car. the kids yeah, are. I just left them. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, eh, okay. And I got in the car. I called my mom on the way there. And I said, you know, something happened at the pool. I'm on my way to the hospital. I probably shouldn't be driving. Um, and she said, oh, I'm going to meet you there. And I was like, no, mom, it's fine. You don't need to meet me there. And she's like, no, I'm coming. So then I called my in-laws to go watch the kids, you know. Yeah. And, and when I got to the hospital, I work at that hospital, which is kind of fun. Okay. So, um, But not in the emergency room. So I walk in and they knew who I was and they sent me, you know, back to a different place. And then they sent me to a different room. And that's when, you know, the doctor came in and, and he sat next to me and he had a stupid earring. I hate that stupid earring, doctor. And he just <laughs> said, I'm going to, I'm going to tell it to you straight. Jason died tonight. And I just felt this like whooshing like what um and then he said lots of other things and I remember like little bits and pieces of what he said but just like huh what 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 but also 
in that moment, I knew exactly what had happened also. So it was just like, yeah. I mean, just the shock of that. How do you, how do you, I don't yeah. even know. I still don't know how you, you know, figure React. that out in your brain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the strange thing was, is that I wanted to take my shoes off and I wanted to run. I like really would have run out of the hospital if I was not in not very good physical shape myself. But those like were the weird thoughts I had. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. How do you react? How do you react to that? What do you say? What? So, so he did say things after that. It was just like, you just shut it off. Yeah. and couldn't hear what he was yeah. saying. Right. Like, you know, was... he was saying things like, you know, like the marathon runners who collapse and die. And he, he said like, there's a, a syndrome called like Wolf Parkinson white syndrome. I think that that's right or close to it. And it's like an electrical, it's like a cardiac um, electrical problem. And, you know, he just said a bunch of things like that, but he didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but I knew because in the last, I don't know, a few months, Jason had been telling me that he was getting really dizzy when he would start working out. Oh. And I was like, oh, you need to warm up better. I know we thought, thought it might be something with his inner ear. We talked it through a bunch of times, but right then, like... I knew exactly what had happened and those other times. Yeah. Those other times he was going into like a heart arrhythmia and that's why he was feeling dizzy. And the same thing happened that night. He went into a heart arrhythmia, but this time it devolved into a fatal one instead of, you know, kicking back into the normal, the normal rhythm. So I knew I was like, and I was so mad at myself because I was like, I should have sent him to the doctor instead of just being like, Oh, you know, you're getting old. And I know, I know. It's so. you look back at those those signs and things that but at the at the time you're like that's it's not a big deal, right? You're just thinking yeah. it's it's really nothing. It's yeah. I mean if he's I not knew like it was passing out, it. he was just like kinda and the fact that he yeah. told you that he was getting dizzy, then you go back, of course, and think, God, why don't we take that yeah. a little more seriously? Yeah. God, okay. So he um he was in the pool. He was swimming. Did he have people around him at the time? Yeah. So, and the, one of the sad things is that my really good friend was the coach on the deck that night. And so, um, I think she's traumatized by it too, obviously, I'm but sure, yeah. he started the warm up and he went two or 300 yards and came to the side of the pool and ducked his head under the lane line and was hanging onto the wall and just said, I feel really funny. Um, and then he said, I think I'm going to throw up. So we got out of the pool and walked into the uh, locker room and collapsed in the locker room. Oh. So yes and no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, people were there. I mean, they saw it. Yeah. And I mean, like they have okay. people who are trained in CPR at the pool. So, I mean, they did CPR. They used the AED. Yeah. They just okay. Get him, okay. get him back. And it wasn't like one of those things where they do get his heart started and then like they don't, you know, they don't live or you have to decide whether or not, you know, to, to withdraw life support, but nope, they just never got his heart started again. So how old was he? He was 42. 42. Okay. I know. That's how old I am now. And that is a weird thing too. When you cross over that point and you're like, Uh okay, I am now older. Like I'm living longer than they did. You know, you have, those. I, I know the do exact you have those, 
you have those things well, in your mind, like there's kind of dates that happen. I yeah, don't know. You know that what? I've calculated the exact date where I will pass him up and I'm pissed off. I'm like, I would be so angry if my life ended right now. Like I have so yeah. much more. That's how I feel. I don't feel like, I don't know, like a sense of impending doom for myself. Or I'm just like, I'm just mad that that got taken away from him. I know. So. I know. I have those countdown days too, but that was a, that was a big one. That one was kind of like, okay, I am now older than he will ever be. Mm-hmm. It's a weird, it's a weird thought, but that is a thought that goes through your head, right? So how old were your kids at that time? You had the two-year-old you mentioned. Yep. 12, eight, five, and two. And those, those ages are like seared into my brain. 12, eight, five, two. I can't even remember how old they are now. (laughs) Just (laughs) forever 12, 8, 5, and 2. Right. 12, 8, 5, and 2. So, oh my God. So you're at the hospital. You're by yourself. You get this news. My mom showed up. Oh, she did. Okay. Yes. Because she's kind of a worrier. And I told her not to, but I was so glad that she actually came because then I didn't have to call her back and be like, no, come. You know, she just showed up. And thank goodness. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so she, but she wasn't in that room with you, with the doctor. She, she wasn't when they told me, when but, told but you. she showed up somehow. She, she must've told there. somebody, I, I don't know how she got to where I was, but she did. Wow. And then my father-in-law showed up, like then people just showed up. I don't even know how, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about telling the kids. Did you... Yes. Okay. Did you immediately go home? Because at this point, it's like midnight or something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the middle of the night. They're sleeping. Yeah. Did you stay up all night and sit oh, there yeah. and like think about what you're going to say? Or like, did you wake them up? Did you, what did you do with that? Because you get so, this information and you're yeah. like, I have not had time to process this, but I need to be the ones, the one to tell them and not anybody else. So what did you do? So yeah, I went, I went home. Um, my, some of my siblings came to my house. My mom came to my house. My daughter was still awake. Um, the 12 year old was still awake. So she found out then, and she actually found out while I was still at the hospital because my sister-in-law's just their reaction to hearing the news. Um, so she kind of knew. And then I didn't wake the boys up. We laid on my living room floor all night and I mean, no sleep was going to happen. It was just, it was horrible. Um, And it's kind of funny that we're even talking about this because my youngest son this morning just woke up out of the blue and asked me about it. Um, So I was kind of recounting, yeah, this story to him this morning, but we just laid on the floor all night and just talked and, and I just shook the whole night, just like, you know, in, in so much distress. And then when they woke up, the um, three younger ones, they woke up and they walked into the living room and there's like all these people, you know, and they're thinking it's a party. I mean, like, what are all you guys doing here? And I thinking of having to tell them during the night that was that anticipation was so awful. I thought I was going to throw up, like just thinking of how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Worst thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. Took them back into one of the bedrooms and I sat down and I said, something, something sad happened last night. Dad went swimming 
and something happened and his heart stopped and he his body died and he won't he won't come home anymore and um you know the different ages had different responses to that and uh you know the oldest one kind of understood the oldest of the three youngest it's very confusing uh but the younger two did you know really didn't understand what that meant no uh, at that time so we we went over that again and again and I found out later that they thought that he had like drowned like in the pool and so they were worried about that so then we kind of explained more what had happened but again you're not really sure at that point in time either I had my theory but I didn't want to tell them that if it wasn't you know it wasn't the case so right right so the little one I mean two a two-year-old is mm-hmm. not going to really comprehend what, what you're saying. Yeah. 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 He's like, okay. And then yeah. the funny thing was, and it's kind of disconcerting as the parent is that after we talked about that, the younger ones thought it was great. There were people there. People were bringing cookies. Somebody put some like a cooler of sodas on the porch and kept refilling it. They had as many Dr. Peppers as they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the best day this ever. And, you know, and I oh, wasn't like, no, God. you can't have 11 Dr. Peppers. Right. right. Go I for it. Parenting no, at all. no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know. It's like all things just blow up and mm-hmm. it, you can't, you can't deal with any of it. I know. I remember like I had, I had sat down with Claire cause she, it was, she was two also. And I took out a piece of paper. I was trying to draw a picture of Brent and, you know, a halo and like oh. heaven and, you know, he's, he's in heaven, but I, she doesn't get a concept of any of no. that. Like what is heaven? What's a halo? You know, like none of it, none of it. And yeah. we had some Halloween candy on the table and she's just like, you know, can I have some candy? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying. They're like, you know, okay, mom, whatever. What yeah, and I'm trying so hard not to cry and and break down and and she just has no idea. So it, it's it's yeah. so tough, especially with all those different ages and having to um, you know, speak at their level with what they can handle, right? You had you had a lot across the board between yeah. the 12 12-year-old and the 2-year-old yeah. and trying to explain and 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 you know comfort them however you can but the little one was off drinking dr peppers so <laughs> and the 5 year old too he was like yeah the 5 year old <laughs> oh man um so you took some time off of work what is your day to day job or at the time were you working full time no i was um i was working part time hang on make my phone stop making noises uh no I was working part-time uh I'm a physical therapist and we had this really great gig worked out where my husband Jason was a teacher so he would come home kind of early in the afternoon and I would go work an evening shift while he had the kids I would do that a couple a couple nights a week and then I worked uh, a couple mornings uh during the week as well so yeah I just uh I was like I texted my manager and I said, I'm so sorry to tell you this way, but I like, bye, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And 
for the evening shifts, I just had to stop doing that because now my kids like that was the worst time to go to work when everybody was home. So I haven't, yeah. I have never, I've never gone back to doing that, but I've gone back to my, and I do weird things. I don't do normal physical therapist stuff. I treat diabetic foot ulcers. Okay. I know, okay. which like, everybody's like, what? And I it just, <laughs> just trust me. <laughs> And I still do that. So I, I not so only took do. a few weeks off of doing that, but it's so funny. I had one patient who she was a little nutty and she made it up in her mind that I had gone to Germany. So <laughs> oh, yeah, God. I have no idea why, but they're Were like, you? Anita can't see you. And they're like, oh, she moved to Germany. Like, oh, Okay. <laughs> So you chose to just take the three weeks off like that. Um, did you tell them I have to take a little bit of time off? I mean, no, not, not really. I, I, I don't actually even remember. You don't remember. I, I just, it was like, I'll, I'll see you when I see you kind of a thing. And they were yeah. super great. They were like, okay, you know, let us, let us know. And, us know. Yeah. and, and it's kind of nice because I'm kind of in charge of my own schedule um okay. so yeah not a whole was, lot of pressure yeah, yeah it's not like in the hospital where the patients are coming no matter what it was like no you you can't come because I won't be there and they were like okay well we'll and the nice thing about nice in quotation marks thing about diabetic foot ulcers is they're they're a long-term thing so they can wait for a few weeks to okay for me to get to them <laughs> yeah I remember I texted work this was like I think it was on the way to the funeral home or something the next day after I found out that he, he was killed and I text work and I was like, um, I'm going to, I'm going to be gone at least a week. I, I swear that was my text. I was just like, you know, Brent, this happened to Brent. And I, it's like, where, where does your brain go? How do you even like Germany? <laughs> Like I'm going to be gone at least a week. And then I'm like, what? I'm going to be gone like months, you know, (laughs) if I can. Yeah. Um, So you had to go back to work at that hospital. How was that driving there every day and walking into that same space? Oh God. How did you handle that? Yeah. Um, That's an interesting question because not only the hospital, but also I still swim at the pool where he died. So, yeah. And I kind of made a conscious effort, I guess, to think about, you know, this, this place does not have power over me, you know, Mm. and it was hard the first few times I went and I had to be really deliberate about how I did it. Luckily, I work in a different building. And so it's not like the same entrance and the same. um, And then after a while, you just stop thinking of it as that you know like you habituate yourself to the idea that it doesn't it's not and it's just a building right yeah so it was hard at first but um but yeah I was really mindful about you know knowing that it was going to be stressful and also kind of using my higher brain to talk myself out of of freaking out yeah yeah you had that awareness and that is so important if you have to go back to the same space and have that be a trigger um yeah which happens I mean you have to drive down the same road sometimes and Mm -hmm. it's like if 
let's say your person was in an accident, you have to drive down that road. It's just like, you have to just prepare yourself for the way that you might react, you know? You know, what's interesting though, is that those places I knew were going to be problems. So I kind of prepared myself, but there's a lot of places that still cause me a little bit of trouble and I don't really anticipate them. So it's a little bit harder almost, if that makes sense, right? Absolutely. I drive past his school. I, it would give me like, oh, you know, feelings. And I wasn't like, I wasn't preparing myself for those types of places. So yes, yes, I can definitely see that because he went there every day to go to work. So that's what you're visualizing in your head, of course. Um, so what else did you, what did you do? Let's go back to those first few weeks, maybe even the first few months, um, to kind of help you process what had happened. Like, well, well, we're, we're, we haven't talked about kind of a big part of the story also. And that is that the week after Jason's funeral, I got a phone call from the surgeon who had taken out the growth on my thyroid. And he said, I need you to come back to my office. And I was like, I know what that means. So oh God, what I went, I know, I know. So this is another thing, like, I don't remember about work because I was just like, so I don't even know. Um, Yeah. So I went back to his office and he said, you know, we sent your biopsy. We had to send it back to Pennsylvania uh, because it's weird, basically. And he said, you have, you know, you have thyroid cancer. And so these are, this is what you need to do. These are your options. And, and what the hell? Wait, this was like the week after? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 10 days after he died. And so, I mean, if you're going to have cancer, thyroid cancer is the cancer to get for the most part. Most of them are. Oh, my God. Uh, Anita. <laughs> I know. So I had some huge decisions to make. I, I you know, I had to decide if I was going to go with the nuclear option if I was going to go with the more conservative option, you know, doctors figuring all of that out. And the person who I really needed to talk to was gone. And also I was in this whole new mindset because had Jason been there, it would be like, well, we can do it this way. And if it's not going well, I can, I can always change my mind. Right. But now I'm like, I'm the only parent. I can't take any risks that this is going to turn into something deadly. Then my kids will be orphans, you know? So just a whole like, terrible soup of thoughts in my head for you know weeks as I was trying to figure out what to do so we add that into the mix um yeah and and were you even functioning I wasn't let's you know there was no functioning I don't know you don't know yeah Yeah. it was just yeah but But you know okay like, I mean, you have to compartmentalize, right? Like, it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, I have to deal with this with the kids. I have to, because at this point, I mean, they're all still going to school. You have to take them to school in the morning, mm-hmm. right? You have to yeah. keep up with all of that stuff. Did they go back to school right away? Um, I can't remember. Okay. I mean, I think that, I think so. I think that they were gone for like a week and then they, and then they went back, but okay. you know, the two-year-old was not, he was, he was at home. So yeah. Yeah. And the youngest one was in kindergarten. So he was okay. a half, he went to half day of school. 
Yeah, that's funny. I don't even know. So, <laughs> I, <can't even> remember. <laughs> I know. Okay, so you're juggling all of that. And then you just had to put on the, all right, I'm thinking about myself cap right now because I need my health. I need my health. Yeah. Um, did your, did your family, I mean, you had family around, they were, they were there to help with a lot of things. Did you talk things through like with your mom and your family, like anybody help me, help me. Right. Yeah. And I have, I have a lot of good friends and, you know, since I work in the medical profession I have friends who are in the medical profession as well who I could ask specifically about those types of things and and all of that worked out really well I feel like things fell into place just as they needed to and I was able to find a doctor who was amazing and he and I had the same thoughts about a lot of things and so I'm good on that front guys you can like just rest easy everything's fine that way um it was just like a lot to deal with in a row, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. So yeah. your treatment option was, did it involve you, um, you had to have a surgery or did you do a, a series of treatment things for yourself? Like, so that was the two options. The, the, the two options was like the nuclear, like take everything out, mm-hmm. do the radioactive iodine, you know, blow it all up. The other option was watch and wait um, and so I ended up with the watch and wait approach and I found this like specialist who was like, oh yeah, this is what we want to do. So I still go back and do like scans and lab work every year just to make sure everything looks okay. But um, that's, okay. that's what I ended up doing. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to have another surgery. I was like, I have four kids to take care of and you know, the recovery, I don't know how I'm going to do that and all of the different things. And so that's what I ended up doing. And the doctor was really great. He was like, we can if you know if we find something we can change our minds it's not like yeah. isn't like a super scary fast growing right like aggressive ser- seriously mm-hmm. aggressive yeah. thing that you have to tackle yeah. right away yeah exactly okay well thank god for that <laughs> i know <laughs> i know ah god you're like what next right <laughs> no don't ever ask that god <laughs> I would like to invite you to get our latest freebie designed just for you. How to get your life back together after loss, a 10-step checklist. After countless hours of research, interviewing hundreds of widows, and through my own experience with grief, I have compiled this list of the 10 steps you need to take to put your life back together after losing a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed and also normal to not know where to start when it comes to picking up the pieces of your shattered world. Here's where you start. You can get this free 10-step checklist at www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. Um, so you had to make that big decision. We always talk about on the show, we always talk about having to make these big, huge decisions. Were you kind of forced or even not? just um to make any other big decisions like having to move did you guys move or anything like that or no okay nope we're still in the same place I don't think I've made any other big decisions none I'm come from a family of non-deciders also and so like (laughs) inaction is our action like for instance (laughs) 
I still don't have a headstone for Jason. It's been almost oh, four yeah. years. So yeah, that's my, <laughs> I take it to the other, <laughs> I take it to the other extreme and make no decisions. Right. No, I hear you. I hear you. So things kind of were just trying, you're trying to keep it all just, let's just get through. It's going to be as normal as we can possibly make it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Whatever um, that means. Whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, what do you feel like has been your biggest struggle as a widow? Oh, kids parenting hundred and hundred and thousand percent. It's the hardest part of this. It's so yeah. hard. I yeah. cannot emphasize that enough. I, uh, do you feel like it's more of the logistic part of it? Just like getting everything done with everybody? Or do you feel like it's like the the mental and emotional part of it? Like uh, having to handle everyone's grief at whatever stage they're at and juggle I that. Was, I would say it's more mental, emotional. Um, I can ask for help with logistics, right? I can yeah. say, hey, I need somebody to drop off somebody. And I have people who will help me do that. But nobody is in charge of that person, right? So even when the logistics are taken care of, I still have to be responsible for all of the everything. You know, mm -hmm. those people are just basically standing in our, our bodies, but they're not parents. And it is, it's so exhausting to be it dealing is. with all of their, all of their needs and you know, parenting in heart is parenting in general is really hard, right? Like yeah. kids are hard. And then when you're doing that all by yourself, nobody to talk to, nobody to ask, you know, what should we do about this behavior problem? What should we do about, you know, the rules? What should we do about enforcing the rules? How do we deal with their schoolwork? Um, how do we deal with when they're sad because somebody was mean to them? How do we deal with their grief? How do we decide if it's grief or if it's just normal parenting stuff, you know, and then let's just chuck COVID in there. And then we have to decide what's that too. And it's just, it's like too, it's just too much. And I, I don't know. I don't know how my kids yeah. are ever going to succeed and be normal. Oh God. Everything that you just said, I'm just like, I know you're like, mm -hmm. are they crying? Because they're sad? Is it because they don't have their dad? Or are they crying just because they stubbed their toe? Like, is it really mm -hmm. their toe? Or is it like, is it yeah. because of their dad's not here? I mean, your brain just like, it just explodes. Yeah. Should I give them some extra leeway? Should I not make them do their homework? Are they, are right. they not doing it because they're grieving? Or are they not doing it because they're just like jackasses, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, or are they just so taking hard. advantage of me yes. because they know that mm -hmm. I'm going to be lenient and not make them do anything because I feel like they need a break yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just mind blowing <laughs> and you have four. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, yeah, I have some tricky, I have some really hard kids too. So. I'm like, oh, why? I know. I feel like every day, every day I was just like doubting myself and questioning what I was doing. And I'm just like, I just don't, I can't do this. I mean, for like, I don't know, probably two years, three years, even longer than that. I would say, I can't do this. Like, I just mm -hmm. was so down on myself, like, and doubting myself. It was, um, that was a huge 
the big, I would say the biggest struggle for me too, for sure, is just that doubt that I am just screwing up every day with, with yes. her, you know, yes. yes, like she is not going to have a normal life because mm-hmm. I am just screwing it all up for her. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really hard to feel like you're not enough as one yeah. person, right? Like I am not good enough. I'm and not good. Like holy or righteous you know but like I'm not up to this task I'm not up to the task I know it's really hard to feel that way no because you have to you have to have discipline they have to have the discipline and that's where that's where he would come in you know I mean he's the big booming voice from the other room like listen to your mom you know yes (laughs) and you don't have that like you I feel like I need that you know I need that anyway Mm -hmm. um Oh, I could go on and on about that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I do want to get, okay. So back to having some time to yourself. Did you ever have time <laughs> to, yourself to just, you know, process for yourself what was happening and what did you kind of turn to in order to do that? What made you feel better? So before Jason died, I always used exercise as my like antidote to my angries. That's what I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I went running after Jason died and I was outside and I just felt this breath of like release. And pretty soon I recognized that was the only time I felt any sort of not even happiness, but like lack of horrible sadness and so it was Mm. like the only time that I felt that way and I was like I have to this is very important for me so that's been my basic go-to and in the beginning I was very very thoughtful and very forthright and I said to people you know this is what I need and I'm gonna need help with childcare so that I can go running or I can go biking or I can go swimming and and I had to say it you know, it feels like it's a, a s- almost selfish or stupid thing to ask for help with and to say like, no, this isn't, this isn't like for fun. This right. is so that, you know, this is, I really need this and please don't judge me and think that this is a dumb reason to ask for help. So that was like my priority. If I could get somebody to watch the kids so I could have an hour or two to go out and I still, I still do that. It's still really important to me so Um, good yeah yeah it's so good that you were brave enough to ask yeah so many people don't I know (laughs) when I had to I I I think about what other people are thinking about me I think we all do that to a certain extent I'm like they're gonna think this is the dumbest thing and so I kind of nip that in the bud by just saying like you might think this is stupid and this is why it's not and you know everybody was super supportive so I don't know yeah. why I had that in my head that that's what they were going to think. I know. Yeah. Definitely though. I mean, that's like, that's, that is a thought. It's, it's thinking, oh, they're going to think that I'm being selfish because I want time for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and what, this that's is what you I think. Use- and it's like, no, I need that time for myself. So um, that is a great outlet, by the way. So the running, the jogging, the swimming, all of it. And so last year you did a, was it like a bicycle riding day? Oh. Or... <laughs> I do races all the time. Oh, so you I do? do? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
last year, uh, I did a bike race with my little brother. Um, that was really fun, a mountain bike race, but yeah, I do, I do a lot of triathlons, um, outdoor or not outdoor, outdoor ones. That's really cool. <laughs> Off-road. Yeah. Cause I live in the mountains and so I like to mountain bike and trail run and yeah, so I do. I I love to have a race because it gives me some purpose, something to look forward to, which I've also found yeah. super helpful in widowhood is to like have something coming up that gives you a feeling of purpose or feeling of meaning because otherwise it just it just feels like you're just checking boxes for absolutely no reason over and over and over. And I don't know if you felt like this, but for a long time I didn't feel like I was alive. I I compared it to being like a root canal tooth, you know, like where you look like a tooth, but the nerve inside of you is gone and you're actually dead inside. I felt like that right. for a long time. Yeah. So it was really helpful to have something that was like, nope, this is why we're doing it. This is why we're going to do this. This is why. This is the why for all of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's something to look forward to. Something what's, you know, what's coming up next. I, mm -hmm. I love that. Um. So let's get into, I want to get into, um, the podcast, your podcast, what do we do now? Well, how did you meet Mel? Because you guys are a team for those yeah. of you who don't know. Um, how did you first meet Mel? So Mel and I grew up about seven houses away from each other, but oh. we did not know each other. Oh. She's two, two years younger than I am, which is like an eternity in high school. Right. right. But, um, <laughs> So I knew who she was. She knew who I was. And uh, Scott, her husband died a little about 18 months before Jason did. So she's, you know, she's a little older in the widowhood game. Mm -hmm. And right after Jason died, my uh, a family member sent me a blog post. And it was from somebody called the Unicorn Widow. And I read it and I was just like, oh, yes, like, you know, when you read something from some like another widow and you're like, this person gets it. And I... I'm so thankful to feel like I can be seen by somebody, even though I'm reading their stuff. Yeah. Um, so at the bottom, I get to the bottom and it says Mel Shore. And I was uh, like, wait, Mel Shore, like Mel Shore, who lives seven houses away from me growing up. And yeah, so I sent her an email and then she emailed me back and we emailed back and forth and then we got each other's numbers and it was just texting back and, you know, forth and just being kind of the, each other's widow's support yeah. crew. Yeah. And at some point in time, we made a joke about how both of our husbands died. And so that we were now widow wives because we had no husbands. Um, and that term has kind of has kind of stuck. And we always joke about how we're widow married. <laughs> and people don't know what to make of that. They're like, so what does that mean? And we're like, well, I don't know, but it makes people feel really uncomfortable. A lot of people think that we're in a, like a real relationship and we're not like we're not right. lesbian, not right. gay, but yeah, it's kind of funny. So wait, um, that so blog post, that blog post was sent to you just shortly after Jason mm -hmm. died? Okay. Yeah. So then you kind of got in contact. It was almost then right away, huh? With yeah, Mel. I want to say it was, I wouldn't want to say months? it was, yeah, four or five, four or five months that we kind of really started to, you know, connect and talk to each other quite a bit. Okay. So then the podcast idea was yeah, from was which one of you? Mel's idea, 100%. Okay. 100%. She's like, Anita, 
let's do a podcast. And I was like, that is the funniest idea I've ever heard. You are so funny. Like I have four kids and I'm newly widowed. Like when, when, when would you like us to do that? And she's yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not joking. And I was like, oh, I, oh, okay. So um, the only reason it happened though, was because my sister, I was talking to my sister and she said, Anita, you should really do a podcast. And I was like, that's so funny because Mel what? said the same thing. What? It was like, because it had come from two different sources. I was like, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's not a bad idea. So that's, uh, then it got started and, and Mel knows how to do all of the things and I don't know how to do any of the things. So that was also helpful to know that somebody could, you know, do the technical things. Right. And that's how it was born. Yeah. And we went through tons of names. We were trying to figure out what it was going to be called. Yeah. You know, you know all of these different things and and then you know widow we do now came out and it was like that's it that's the that's the name <laughs> people always ask us about the name so which one of you thought of the name do you remember that was my it was mine uh, it was my idea it was but your... there was a lot of back and forth you know on the text like what about this what about that and oh so clever I love it I yes. love it um so when when did you actually start doing it So we started in October of 2019. So it was about nine months after Jason had died. So I was pretty still fresh in the widow, widow business. It was, um, it was almost a, I'm trying to think it would have been almost two years for Mel. Okay. Okay. So when you started, were you just, what was your like intention of getting on there? What were you guys going to talk about? Like, what did you think? (laughs) Good question. We just (laughs) She wanted to start a podcast where you're just like, okay, we're going to get on there and we're going to talk about being a widow. Like what was the plan? Well, I think in the beginning, we didn't really have a great idea of where it was going to go, but our thought process was that people just don't know how to treat a grieving person. Nobody really understands what it's like to go through it. So we kind of wanted it to be an educational tool um, and take them on the journey with us right and that's how I kind of like when we look at your podcast and we look at our podcast you started your podcast when you were how many years out quite like years years later right yeah so you were kind of in this role of like I I have I've been there I've done this like let me let me show you the way and it was like we're doing it right now and we don't know the way (laughs) so don't follow us I mean, it was kind of like an experiment. Right. It was like, let's see what happens. Let's see how we right. deal with this. And um, yeah. yeah, but it's turned into something so beautiful and never would have, I have anticipated where it has gone. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. It is because it has led you into these other opportunities. You guys yeah. actually spoke at um, Camp Widow, right? Yeah. We've, you've done that twice. About- no. Five, five times really oh my god okay that five that times. is awesome okay tell mm-hmm. us about your camp widow experience then like but tell us about the first one when did you go oh the first okay one? well the first time we went was they have um camp widows around the country and then they also have a couple outside of the country we heard about it actually from one of our the people we interviewed and it was like okay. oh this is somewhere we need to go so they have like a little apply to be a speaker and we applied and didn't know, you know, didn't know anything about it. Got accepted. They didn't know anything about us. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of fun too. Um, <laughs> Camp Widow is 
amazing. I recommend it wholeheartedly to to anybody. It's not just for newly fresh widows either. There's people there who have been widowed 20, 30 years, and it's still helpful to be among people who you don't have to explain. You know, you don't have to explain being happy or being sad, having a good time or needing a moment to yourself. Um, Really great. Uh, It was a little bit different than I thought it was going to be when I first got there, but it's, it feels like home now, you know, any, any new place, you always get those jitters, right? Yes. about are are they going to like me you know is it am i going to be you know accepted all of those things even as adults like we hate to admit that we still have those feelings but right right yeah. it's a 3 day event right <clears throat> is it longer than that yeah no it's a friday saturday sunday um, okay usually and okay. the one in san diego actually has a kids camp that runs concurrent with it so i haven't taken oh, my kids yet very but i cool. want to mm-hmm. I didn't cool. know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. So we actually went and spoke at the Camp Widow in Australia and Canada <gasps> as well. I know. You did. When did you go Super to Australia? Fun. In August. <gasps> How yeah. amazing. Wow. That's so fun. That's so cool. See, what a great opportunity. You're glad you did it, uh-huh. right? It's it's so it's so tricky we always talk about this because it's a it's a it's not a straightforward feeling right because these opportunities have only come at this terribly high cost and so it's kind of hard to feel like the only reason you did this is because the most important person in your world died right it's so hard to have those dual feelings but i'm so thankful i the people that i've been able to meet it's just been, it's just beautiful. I don't know of a different word to use for it, but it comes at such a great cost that it's kind of hard to just be straightforward grateful, you know? Yeah. I hear it. I hear you. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, you feel like doing the podcast? I mean, obviously it's been helpful for you in so many ways for your healing, yeah. right? I mean- you guys started interviewing people. Um, did you start doing interviews right away or was it just between the two of you? In the beginning, we just talked to each other about different, you know, grief stories and what to say, what not to say. That's kind of what we started it as. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of morphed into talking about other people's stories as well. Are there any guests that you can think of that really stand out? Like how many interviews have you, have you guys done? It's a lot, right? <sighs> I don't know how many interviews we've got about a hundred and we've got like 180 episodes. So we've got a lot. Um, Sure. I, there's definitely some episodes that have been, have been really amazing. Um, Melissa Ponder Brackman is one of my favorite ones. Her husband, this is the one that we were telling you, you need to meet her husband was. Oh um, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. She's had a, she's had a really interesting, crazy, like, as she was telling us our story, we were like, what, what, what? Yeah. Just more and more. And then we just barely did an episode that I thought was so helpful. And we were talking to a neurologist and she was talking about uh, emotional trauma to the brain. And I loved that episode. That one just barely, barely came out. Do you remember the episode number? Of the one that you were just talking about with the neurologist. 
So we can uh, I go and check it out. It's probably like what? You said 170? I don't even know if we number our episodes. <laughs> How bad is that? <laughs> let's, let's see. Oh, it's so this is episode 144. Okay. Um, and uh, so we'll have to go and listen the other to that one. I think one. is, yeah, I think the other one is episode 34. So, okay, a little while ago. Um, another question that I always ask Do you still wear your ring, or when not did you take it off? So, this is a funny thing. I'm not wearing it right now. Um, before Jason died, I did not wear my ring all the time just because I worked in healthcare and like also exercising and stuff like that. But when he died, I put it back on and then I found um, I wanted to find a ring that was clear. And so I wore, I couldn't find a clear one that was silicone, but I wore a white silicone ring until very, very recently. And very ironically, I was swimming in a pool during a race and it fell off of my finger and I wasn't going to like stop in the race to get it. And it's just like a cheap silicone. Like it's not really my, my real wedding ring. And I thought, how appropriate is that? That it wow. kind of fell off here of wow. all places. Yeah. So I'll still put on my like real wedding ring every once in a while. I still feel very married. Like I don't yeah. feel not married. I don't know if that made any sense. So but, it wasn't, there wasn't like this big pivotal moment of just like I'm taking it off today it's the no. day because you didn't really wear it a lot anyway you kind of yeah not before but after for three three and a half years solid I I, I wore my ring oh you did that was that long okay it's just like, and then you switched to the few... other ring well no oh. I switched the other ring pretty but I wore a band on my on my wedding finger okay on my ring finger until just barely Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get another one? I don't know. You know what I've noticed is when it fell off, how much I fiddle with it. Because I, I like go to fiddle with it and it's not there and it feels, I'm like, no, ooh, I don't know. I know. Like you go to turn it and it's not mm-hmm. there. I, I realized that too after. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You think yeah. about those little things. Um, Are you um thinking about dating again like has that crossed your mind no no it hasn't I mean it's crossed my mind I've thought about it and obviously because we talk to a lot of people you know it's we talk about this topic and I still cannot wrap my head around it I just like I said I still feel very married to Jason I also just think like nobody wants to be a part of this disaster no (laughs) nobody wants to step in here this is this, we are, we are not a well oiled machine here. So, um, yeah, I think that if like you don't want I to be a part of this struggle, come on, no. this is sexy. What are you talking? About? No, and actually, it I do stress out a little bit about that. I think that adding a new adult to kids, I feel very protective of my kids, right? And yeah. I don't want to invite anything into that either. Really, um, yeah. So if something were to happen, if I was to enter a new relationship, it would have to happen very organically. I'm not going to get on any dating apps at this point in time, you know, or that kind of a thing. Yeah. So, and I, I'm not somebody I'm, you know, never say never. 
I'm not like, no, I'll never be in a relationship again. I'm just like, not right now. Cause not, it's not a priority right now. Yes. But maybe yeah, I mean, there's like maybe, three maybe. pairs of boys underwear on the floor <laughs> in the hall. Come on over. That's hysterical. <laughs> um, okay, we are coming up to Christmas, obviously. What was that first Christmas like for your family? Because it it yeah. was coming up to a year for you guys, you know, um, yeah. that December of 2019. What did you guys do for Christmas? How was that for you? So the first Christmas was, I mean, it's so funny because it's very, everything's very blurry in those, you know, first months. Um, so it was really hard to anticipate. We were also coming up on the year mark. Mm -hmm. You run through all of those last, you know, last time this year we were doing this. Last time this year we did this. And knowing that there are, that's over. There's not going to be any more new memories. You've run through all of the memories and they're all gone. Yeah. We had a lot of support from friends and family that Christmas that kind of helped. And actually Thanksgiving was a little harder for our family than Christmas was. And I think part of that is because the kids are so excited about Christmas and it's hard to not get infected by their excitement. So I felt a lot of happiness and and excitement coming up to that first Christmas. And it was okay. Of course, it's like, I don't know, it's just weird. You're like, this isn't normal. This isn't how it's supposed to be. You know, we're missing this big chunk. And it almost felt like pretend, right? Like, mm. we're just going to do it this weird way this year. And then we'll get back to normal. Yeah. Right? At some point yeah. in time. Like, this is just a placeholder for my real life. And my real <laughs> life will be returning at some point in time. Um. So the second Christmas, I would say, was maybe even a little harder because we didn't have the same support from friends and family and people weren't anticipating it was going to be as hard for me. Yeah. So I was a little bit more on my own um, and it felt a little more real that year. But as time has moved on, it's become more quote unquote normal because yeah. I have memories of doing this without Jason now. And we've survived it and it's been fun. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, you did it. Like, I mean, I bought all the presents before anyway. You know, it's not right. like right. that was harder than it was before, but just emotionally yeah. harder. So, yeah, the yeah. holidays can be so hard for so many different reasons. I'm so, I just feel bad for everybody who has to go through them. I know. I know. Um. <clears throat> So a couple of random questions to wrap yes, up. Yes, I love it. <laughs> but, um, do you feel like you are better at accepting change in your life? You know, people in general, they hate change. Mm. They don't like change. Do you feel like because well, or since this has happened, you're just like, all right, well, we were going to do that. And now we're not going to do that. And so I'm rolling with the punches. Oh. Like, are you oh. better at change now? <laughs> accepting I change I don't know if I want to say I'm better at it I feel like I've been beaten to the point of like not struggling over certain things you know it is like I I can't I can't deal with that so I don't care you know <laughs> so I don't want to say I'm like more skilled at it I'm just tired or more tired great answer because it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're just like I can't 
That's my yeah. answer. I can't. <laughs> I'm not even going to worry about it. <laughs> I'm just going right. to go lay da- face down on the bed for a few minutes while <laughs> the change happens. Yeah. Okay. If you could go on a crazy wild adventure anywhere, oh. where would you go and what would you do? So many places. Um, so Mel and I went to Australia last year and I really wanted to go to the Great Barrier Reef, but we didn't think we had enough time. So we didn't go, but I really want to go back and I want to go scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef because it's not going to be there for much longer. Mm-hmm. So that's like my pinnacle, my pinnacle dream. I have so many places I'd like to go and like mountain bike or run in the mountains. Yeah. I'd love to like climb mountains in different places. That's I'm jealous. Anita lives in Utah. So she's got this beautiful surrounding and so many awesome places to go. So I'm jealous (laughs) of that for sure. Come on over. (laughs) I know. Um, What's something that your husband used to do that now you have to do and you hate it? (laughs) I hate changing the fitted sheet. I hate it. That was his job. <laughs> Every time I do it, I'm pissed off about it. I know. Okay? You're like, you're not here to help me. Yes. I'm like, I yeah. hate changing the stupid fitted sheets. And he used yeah. to rotate the mattress. No, that does not happen anymore mm-hmm. because that thing weighs 940 pounds and it's just not worth it. Yeah. So, okay. There you go. <laughs> that one was easy. That's easy. Okay. Harder questions. Just kidding. All right. Name something you've done since becoming a widow that you're super proud of. Oh my God. I, you know, you've done a lot, yeah. but okay. What are you super proud of yourself for doing? That's, I mean, I feel like everything needs to be celebrated. Even just like brushing my kids' teeth every single night for the last four years. Like that's a big accomplishment because <laughs> it's so hard and we forget about those things, those like little things. And we want there to be like some great you know accomplishment the biggest thing like the biggest actual accomplishment was um I set out to qualify for the world championships of some big race and I did end up doing that I went to the world championships and did not win just so you know but I did compete in that was cool yeah when was that that was in 2019. So I did that the same year oh that Jason God. died. You have done I like so poured, much. <laughs> I poured everything into that. It was like the only thing that kept me, kept yeah. me going at that point in time. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, final question. Final what's, answer. What's one piece of advice you can give to new widows who oh, are struggling? This is, <clears throat> this is so hard because I almost feel like you have to go through this before you can really realize it. Um, but it's that you just have to be patient about it because I wanted to know all of the steps that I needed to take to make myself and my kids. Okay. Right. And it was like, they all need to go to therapy right now. And we all need to go to therapy and we all need to do this. And we're going to, you know, we're going to get a schedule and we're going to go to bed at the same time. And, you know, and when we do that, we're going to function and it's going to be great. And I look back and I just think, oh, you silly little tropical fish you know (laughs) there's so much time um to figure stuff out and it's really hard to feel like you don't have your bearings in the beginning but I think it takes longer than you think to get your bearings and there's Mm -hmm. nothing that you can do to speed it up so yeah 
you can try and you're just going to spin your wheels and then you're going to be frustrated that you still don't have your footing. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. You want and the I still answer. Have... You yeah. want, you want the blueprint. You want the plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, tell me how to do this. Tell me how to I do I still this. feel like that too. I still feel like I don't have my footing and I really want to have it. And I have a hard time practicing what I preach in that regard. A lot of times I say, you know, because I'm almost four years out and I think we should be better at this by now. Should, mm-hmm. right? We should be better mm-hmm. at this, but we're not. And it's hard to to say patience is still important even now in the process. Yeah. yeah. That's really good advice. Really good it's advice. Terrible advice. I mean, right. I know it's like there, there is no clear answer and it's, it's not, you just have to have to tell people that it's, you're not going to have that blueprint that you want and just don't. Mm. And it's, it is a hard answer to swallow, but that is the truth. So. Yeah. In a way it's a little (laughs) bit freeing though, also, because if you don't get it done right now, it's not like the opportunity is lost. I had to realize that for my kids in therapy, like Maybe therapy isn't for them right now. It's not helping mm-hmm. them right now. But in six months, a year or three years, that might be the time when we deal with some of these issues in therapy. Yeah. You know? So it's not yeah. like I have to do everything right now. And if I don't do it, then all is lost. There will be time right. to figure some of this stuff out too. So it's like yeah. both. It's like good advice and bad advice. Not good advice and bad advice, but <laughs> helpful and annoying. Helpful. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well. Anita, this is amazing. I love your humor and I love your spirit. And I think you're doing an awesome job. I do. You're you're handling everything. You're doing it all. But please tell everyone where we can find the podcast. And you have a Facebook group as well, Mm -hmm. right? Can you tell us everything about that? Yeah. So the podcast, you find where you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We have a website, um, widowwedonow.com. Something that's really fun that we have in there is we have our snarky grief shop. So we have fun shirts that say things like, be nice, my husband is dead. And like, just really, there's some ones that aren't quite in your face, but that's kind of a (laughs) a fun thing. We have our Instagram, which is Widow We Do Now. And then on Facebook, we have a private Facebook group. It's called the Widow Wives Club. Since Mel and I were, we had a listener and she said, well, I want a widow wife. When Mel and I talked about how we were widow wives. Yeah. We were like, oh, we'll start a, we'll start a club. And that's grown into an amazing thing. We do make people prove that they're widowed and we have Mm. a very loose definition of widowed. Um, We make you prove that you've lost your romantic partner, which makes some people mad because they think that's a gatekeeping thing, but it keeps our group group really safe. So that's on Facebook. Um, Yeah. And then camp widow. You can come find us there sometimes too. Yes. And I'm going to put all of the links to everything in the show notes so everybody can find you and um, and go and check out the podcast because these girls are funny. It's <laughs> I love listening thank to you guys. You. Um, this has been so great. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, like I said, this has been a long time coming and I'm so happy that you came. So thank you so much, Anita. Um, Thanks for having me. Yes. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Here are the takeaways from Anita. Number one, Anita's husband, Jason, died suddenly one night while swimming at a local rec center. Their kids were 12, 8, 5, and 2 years old. Number two, Anita took a few weeks off of work and continued working part-time 
but did have a hard time working in the same hospital that Jason was taken to. Number three, 10 days after Jason died, Anita was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Number four, parenting has been the hardest part and the biggest struggle for her as a widow. Number five, when Anita did have time to herself, she used exercise as a way of coping. She swims, she cycles, and she runs. Number six, she has found it super helpful in widowhood to always have something to look forward to. Number seven, Anita partnered up with Mel Shore and started the podcast, Widow We Do Now. Number eight, Anita and Mel have spoken at Camp Widow five times in the past few years. Anita highly recommends Camp Widow. Number nine, her biggest piece of advice for widows is to be patient with your healing and your grief process. There's so much time to figure stuff out. There's nothing you can do to speed it up. You can find Anita on her podcast at Widow We Do Now, and their website is widowwedonow.com. I'm going to put the links in the show notes today. Go and check them out. We have had some really, really nice things said about the Widow Squad community this week, and there was one comment that I wanted to share from Dee, and she said, I'm really glad I joined this group. I've been to several different therapy groups before. And I find this one to be the best one of all, belonging to this widow squad. I find that you people are real and true. And yes, thank you so much. That was such a great compliment. And I just wanted to share that with you guys today. And so this is my invitation to you to join this awesome group. Go to widowsquad.com. That's widowsquad.com. And don't forget, if you also need some extra help this holiday season and you don't want to do the group thing, you can always pick up a copy of my book. It's the Widow's Holiday Guidebook. In the book, you'll learn how to process unpredictable emotions, honor your loved ones, make new traditions, and focus on the most important thing, and that's you. Focus on self-compassion. You can get your copy at www.widow180.com forward slash books. That's www.widow180.com forward slash books. Okay. Have a great week. We have another episode coming up in just a few days. Until then, believe in the possibilities. Thank you so much for listening to Widow 180, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance, you can follow me on Facebook at Widow 180, the community, on YouTube at Widow 180, the channel, and on Instagram at Widow 180. If you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources, including our latest freebie, How to Get Your Life Back Together After Loss, a 10-step checklist, head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.